Welcome to our Sunday night study of the book of Revelation. I'm pastor teacher Chris Hall, pastor of Mercedes Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. We pray that you had a wonderful time with your church family this morning as you worshiped the Lord together. We had a wonderful time at Mercedes Baptist Church. It was good to be back in our sanctuary uh, worshiping the Lord together. And uh, tonight we continue our study in the book of Revelation. We're all the way now in Revelation chapter 19, and we are quickly coming to the conclusion of this book. And tonight we have the great privilege, the tremendous blessing to look at the second coming of Jesus Christ as it is described in Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. And we'll be reading down through verse 16 in Revelation 19. Now, of course, Christmas time is coming soon. And when Christmas gets here, we're all going to celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ into this world. And what a tremendous, stupendous event that was, of course, the birth of Jesus as he came into the world to do what uh, he needed to do to make it possible that we might be saved from our sins. So we'll be singing those Christmas carols, we'll be celebrating Christmas, and rightfully so as we celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ. But the Bible also says this, that Jesus Christ is coming again. Jesus lived his earthly life, he went to the cross, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven. But that's not the last of Jesus that the world is going to see. The Bible says that one day Jesus Christ is coming again. In fact, let me give you some facts about the second coming of Jesus Christ. A lot of churches ignore this event. A lot of churches never say anything about the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. But let me give you some very important facts about the second coming of Jesus Christ. In the Bible, the second coming of Jesus Christ is mentioned more than his first coming by a ratio of eight to one. In the Bible, there are 1,845 references to the second coming of Jesus Christ. In the 260 chapters of the New Testament, the second coming of Jesus Christ is mentioned and referred to 321 times. 17 Old Testament books teach about the second coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming of Jesus Christ is taught in 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament speaks of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself referred to his second coming in his teachings more than 21 times. Second only to salvation, the second coming of Jesus Christ is the most dominant subject in the New Testament. And so tonight we have arrived at this revelation of the second coming of Jesus Christ, this great coming event, the culmination of human history as we know it. 
We read tonight from Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11. And I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me there as we read together. And John the Apostle, the human author of the book of Revelation, writes, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, many crowns. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, bless us tonight as we look in your precious word to see the great second coming of Jesus Christ as it is described for us in these verses. We pray for those who are sick tonight, those who are in need. We ask a special blessing upon each one. Give them health and give them healing. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you do for us. We have a special prayer tonight for our friends in Florida who have suffered such great devastation at the hands of the Hurricane Ian. We pray for them. We pray, Lord, that you will bless them. Motivate our hearts to help them as we can. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings, your grace, and your goodness. May your Holy Spirit lead us now as we look into these precious and powerful verses. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we're going to look at the details of the second coming of Jesus Christ as they are described in the verses that we have read. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says that heaven opened to let John in. Heaven opened, and John was allowed to see what was going on in heaven in eternity in anticipation of what was going to happen as it is described in the book of Revelation. But in this passage, heaven opens again, this time not to let somebody in, but to let somebody out. And that somebody is the Lord Jesus Christ. The time has now come for the glorious revelation and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself described his return in Matthew chapter 24, verses 27 through 31. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be, Jesus said. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. 
the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all of the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That's how Jesus describes his second coming. As this dramatic scene unfolds, John the Apostle, the human author of the book of Revelation, stands transfixed. His attention now is riveted into the sky where he sees a majestic, regal, mighty rider on a horse appear. And that rider is the Lord Jesus Christ. The last time this world saw Jesus, he was brutally beaten, bruised, and humiliated. His dead body lying in a tomb. Oh, but my friend, the next time this world sees Jesus, he will be coming again in great power and in great glory. First of all, I want us to see the appearing of the returning Christ. John describes what he saw. First of all, John saw Jesus riding on a white horse. He looked up, heaven opened, and John said he saw Jesus coming out of heaven into the atmosphere above, above the earth, riding on a white horse. The white horse symbolizes the character of the one who is riding upon it. Jesus, the coming King, the Lord of Lords, is spotless, unblemished, and absolutely holy. The white horse that he's riding on also symbolizes victory. Victorious Roman generals would always ride white horses in their triumphal processions through the streets of Rome. The white horse was a symbol of that day, in that day, of victory. This world has long been in rebellion against its God and its Creator. This world has long been in rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ. The rebellion of this fallen world will reach its climax during the time of the tribulation that we have studied. But the rebellion of this lost world, even though it has been fortified and inspired by Satan and his forces at that time, the rebellion of this lost world cannot and it will not defeat the purposes and the plans of God. It will not prevent the triumphant return of Jesus Christ to this earth. Secondly, John said he saw the eyes of the returning Jesus and they were like a flame of fire. This describes the piercing, the penetrating, the all-seeing vision of the returning Lord Jesus. Nothing escapes the vision 
of the Lord Jesus. He sees all there is to see. He sees into the very deepest recesses of every human heart. He is omniscient. He is all-seeing. He sees it all. He sees the one who believes. He sees the one who rebels. Jesus sees all. Hebrews 4.13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The same eyes of Jesus that reflected tenderness and joy as he gathered little children to himself. The same eyes that reflected compassion when he saw the distress of lost people wandering aimlessly through life like sheep without a shepherd. The same eyes that had shown forgiveness when he restored Peter. The same eyes that wept over the fate of unrepentant Jerusalem and over the sorrow and suffering and death in this sin-cursed world. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, those very same eyes will flash, powerfully flash with the penetrating fire of divine judgment. Thirdly, John said when he saw Jesus coming, he saw many crowns on the head of Jesus. The fact that Jesus has many crowns on his head signifies his royal rank and his regal and unequaled authority Jesus alone, Jesus Christ alone, is the sovereign ruler of this earth. The many crowns on the head of Jesus also indicates his complete defeat of all the rulers and all of the armies of the earth that are arrayed against him. He will conquer these rebellious nations, and as he does so, he will collect the crowns of their rulers. When Jesus was on the cross, he wore a crown of thorns. But when Jesus Christ comes again, he will, will wear the crown of absolute rule and authority over all of the earth and over all of his creation. John also said that when Jesus comes again, he will be clothed with a robe that has been dipped in blood. Now, this blood, the blood that is pictured on the robe of Jesus, is not a picture of the blood which Jesus shed on the cross for the sins of the world. No. This blood is a picture of judgment. This is the blood of the enemies of Jesus which he has already judged. He's given them time to repent. They refuse to repent. They rebel and they attack Christ. This blood represents the enemies of Jesus, which he has already judged. The battle of Armageddon that we will look at will not be the first battle that Jesus has fought against his enemies, but it will be his last. Throughout history, Jesus has fought for and he has fought to protect his people. And when Jesus comes again, his clothes, his robe, 
will be stained with the blood of those previous battles and those previous judgments. But at the final battle, the battle of Armageddon that we will look at next week, the clothes of Jesus will be stained as never before when he, to quote the Bible, treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, when he comes to judge a world of hateful and hardened sinners who have defied his judgments, who have scorned the gospel message that they have heard so prevalently presented and so powerfully presented during the time of the tribulation. My friend God is a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a long-suffering God. He is willing to put up with sinners for a long time. He desires that none perish, but all come to repentance. God is a God of grace. He would much rather forgive than judge. But my friend, remember this. God is not only a God of grace, but he's also a God of judgment. That's the appearance of Jesus. Second, I want us to see the appellations of the returning Christ. That is the names. There are several names or appellations that are given to the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage as he comes again. First of all, he is called the faithful and true one. He is called faithful and true. Satan is a liar, and he's the father of lies. Satan always lies. It's his nature to lie. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. But Jesus is always faithful and true. He is always faithful to his promises, and what Jesus says is always true. My friend, what Jesus says in those words written and read in fact, what Jesus and God says in his word is always true about anything that it says, about where we came from, where we're going, about who we are, about who he is, and what we need to do to be right with the God who has made us. The very fact that Jesus is coming again as he promised confirms that the one who is coming again, as John saw him, is faithful and true. Second of all, John says that he has a name written that no one knows except himself. While much has been revealed to us about the person of Jesus Christ, the character of Christ, the grace, the power, and the goodness of Jesus, everything about Jesus has not been revealed to us. We know so much, and what we know is, oh, so glorious. But everything, all things that are true about Jesus have yet to be revealed to us. In fact, for all eternity, we will explore the greatness, the goodness, and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know a lot about Jesus, but there's a whole lot more that you don't know. What you do know helps you to know that he's faithful and true. He's good and he's wonderful. For all eternity, we'll have the opportunity to explore the greatness of our God, the goodness of our God. We will be constantly discovering new vistas and new anthems of who he is.
his greatness and his goodness. Also in this passage, Jesus is called the Word of God. This name reveals that the one on the white horse is unmistakably and without a doubt the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no doubt about it. He is the Word of God. While the Bible is the written Word of God, Jesus is the living Word of God. Jesus is the revelation of God in human flesh. Jesus is the full expression of the mind, the will, and the purpose of God. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of God's nature. Jesus is the Word of God. The Bible is the written Word of God that leads us to the living Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Finally, in this passage, the returning Jesus is called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This name expresses the sovereign triumph of Jesus over all who reject Him, over all who oppose Him. This name expresses His absolute rule, His soon-to-be-established earthly kingdom. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. There's no one like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. There is no one like Jesus. So we've seen the appearance of our Lord, the appellations of the names given to our Lord. Thirdly, I want us to see the armies that come with Jesus, the armies of the returning Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes again, is not going to come alone. The Lord Jesus, when he comes again, is not going to be all by himself. John says when, when Jesus comes again, and the Bible teaches when Jesus come again, comes again, he will be accompanied by the armies which are in heaven. Now, the armies of heaven are made up of two divisions. Two divisions make up the armies of heaven. Number one, the saints of God who are in heaven. Those believers, those who, those who have trusted in the true God, those who know Christ as their Savior and Lord. The saints of God who are in heaven make up one division of the armies of heaven. The other division is made up of the holy angels. <laughs> Two things are noted about the armies of heaven, the saints of God and the angels of God. As they come, they will be riding on white horses as their commander is. The Lord Jesus, the commander, will come on a white horse, and so will the armies of heaven. In other words, this army is also pure and blameless. The second thing that is noted about the armies of heaven as they come with the Lord Jesus Christ is they will be unarmed. Have you ever heard of an army that has no arms, no weapons? When the armies of heaven come with Jesus, only Jesus will be armed. The general will fight the war that is about to come. The armies of heaven will have no weapons and no arms. The armies of heaven, the saints of God and the angels of God will not come to fight with Jesus. They will come to reign with Jesus. Jesus alone will come to destroy 
his enemies. I also want us to see from this passage the actions of the returning Christ. When Jesus comes again, what is he going to do? When Jesus comes again, his first action will be to rescue those believers who have survived the tribulation and to rescue the redeemed nation of Israel. Here's the picture. Here's the scenario. The armies of the Antichrist will have gathered together in the valley of Megiddo and they are determined to carry out one final attack upon the people of God. The Antichrist will have convinced the people of the, the world, those who are following him. He would say that we will have one shot to defeat God. We can defeat God if we do this, if we destroy the nation of Israel. If every Jew is killed, if the nation of Israel is destroyed, then God cannot keep his promises to the nation of Israel. So let's gather together. Let's surround that nation and let's pull the trigger with all of our great army and all of our armaments, the armaments of the world, trained at Jerusalem and Israel to destroy the nation of Israel. That army will have gathered. But here comes Jesus before the button could be pushed for the first missile to be fired at Jerusalem and Israel. Jesus will come again. And when he comes again, he will dramatically, he will powerfully save his people from the assault of the Antichrist and his vast army. The army of the Antichrist will not be an army of innocence, no. The army of the Antichrist that gathers to destroy the nation of Israel will be made up of hardened and ungodly sinners, demonically possessed sinners, who have sided with Satan during the time of the tribulation. In the army of the Antichrist, as John sees it, there will be kings and captains and mighty men and free and slave small and great. So all sinners who have sided with the Antichrist, people who have taken the mark of the Antichrist, people who have worshipped the Antichrist, people who hate God, people who have continuously rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. This will not be an army of innocence. This will be an army of hardened, hateful, and ungodly sinners. This is the battle of Armageddon. We'll look at it in greater detail next week, but this is the battle of Armageddon. But the battle of Armageddon really won't be much of a battle. In fact, the battle of Armageddon will be over in a split second. The Bible says when Jesus comes again, he's going to destroy that army with the glory of his appearance and with the breath of his mouth. When Jesus comes again, when he faces that vast army of the Antichrist arrayed against the nation of Israel and the people of God, Jesus will say two words, and the battle of Armageddon will be over. And those two words are these. Drop dead, and it will be over. The battle of Armageddon will result in a slaughter 
that is unprecedented in human history. According to Revelation 14, 20, uncounted millions of dead bodies will be strewn throughout the valley of Megiddo for more than 200 miles. In the aftermath of the battle, an angel will appear in the sky and call all of the vultures of the earth to come and gorge themselves on the flesh of the fallen army of the Antichrist. Even after the birds have gorged themselves, according to Ezekiel 39, 12, it will till, still take seven months to bury the remaining corpses. The second thing that Jesus will do when he comes, the first thing is to defeat the armies of the Antichrist. The second thing that is described in this passage that Jesus will do when he comes is he will judge his enemies. He will come to tread the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Though God is first and foremost a God of grace and mercy, he's also a God of judgment. And when he comes, he's going to bring judgment on those who refuse to repent, on those who have rejected his grace, on those who have rebelled against him. And his judgment, my friend, will be just. His judgment will be unquestionably just and righteous. The judge of the entire earth will always do what is right. The third thing that Jesus does when he comes again, the first thing is to defeat the armies of the Antichrist at the Battle of Armageddon, then to judge his enemies. And the third thing that Jesus will do when he comes again, he will set up his millennial kingdom, his a thousand year reign upon a rejuvenated earth. We'll look at that in the days to come. That's the second coming of Jesus Christ as it is described in these verses. And all we can say is hallelujah. And even so, Lord Jesus comes. Now we live in a world that scoffs at the idea of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Many in the professing church scoff at the idea, dismiss the idea, never even touch the idea that Jesus Christ is coming again as described in the Bible. We live in a world of scoffers. But let me give you blessed assurance. Jesus Christ is coming again. And the events that lead up to his second coming begin with the rapture of the church, which will change and alter this world in dramatic ways. My friend, Jesus Christ is coming again. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready because I have trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. The one who comes again is my Savior and my Lord. And I know him. And I pray that you know him as well. Thank you for being with us tonight in our study of the book of Revelation. Next week, we continue our study by looking closer at that great battle, the Battle of Armageddon, that happens when Jesus comes again.
May God bless you. Please stay safe as our prayer in Jesus' name.